if we don't do it, Sky will. The Football Podcast. Three friends picking the bones out of the weekend's football. Hello and welcome to episode six of If We Don't Do It, Sky Will, the football podcast. We are three friends with very different perspectives on football, looking back on another action-packed week in Europe and in the Premier League, and previewing the mad month of December ahead when games are coming thick and fast for our three teams. My name's Alexander Gross. I'm a Tottenham fan who didn't have a game this weekend because it was snowed off, probably best. And with me again is Nick Gilmer, mercifully back from a week off, our Man United fan. Hello. Good evening. Lots to discuss tonight, I'm sure. And uh, also George Harker, our Leeds fan, who is just about keeping his neck above water uh, in 17th place. Hello, George. Good evening. So let's start with the big game of the weekend. Norwich versus Wolves, (laughs) nil-nil. Didn't see it, sorry. I got nothing. (laughs) I'm joking, of course. I just wanted to check how you'd react being asked to comment on that. Uh, yeah, Stamford Bridge, Nick, do you mind if we just focus on the match first and then talk about the uh, soap opera with Rangnick and the managerial situation and all that? So Chelsea won, United won. I thought this was an old Solskjaer counter-attacking smash and grab job. What did you think? Yeah, I thought, um, obviously, Chelsea vastly superior, but actually on the balance of the last few weeks, you'd have to say they're not as good as Liverpool or City on the basis of that. They, they really struggled to break down a, a defence that was three quarters second string for United. Uh, do you not think that United were far more organised and disciplined than they were against those other two top teams? Definitely. Yeah, there's, there's definitely been... The more cautious approach that I think has meant they're harder to break down, you know, at times at the back six with, with Matic and McTominay dropping in. But still, I, you know, 78% possession, I think, to Chelsea. That is third round FA Cup game. <laughs> the, you know, the team that come, comes to the bridge will get more possession than that if they come from League Two. So there wasn't a huge amount of ambition, but as United fan, it was nice not to see us getting battered for a week. You commented to me before the game, I think, that you were worried that Chelsea could hammer you even more than Liverpool did, a sort of goal glut. And I had a feeling that wouldn't happen because they're all about control. But like you said, all the possession and chances, in the end, they couldn't convert into three points. Yeah, and they really lacked a striker. I thought um, Lukaku sat on the bench for as long as as he was, was a surprise, especially because he would have really been motivated. He would love to stick one in against United. And we all Um, know Werner doesn't count as one. I just don't get it. I just do not get <laughs> the team of Werner starting for Chelsea. Couldn't have door. If he did, it would have been three or four one. But I, yeah, I thought big week for Sancho. As that's what I thought actually. I thought he did well against Villarreal and yes. took his chance brilliantly when Jorginho dropped a clanger. So do you think that's a coincidence, or do you think it's just one of those things that he needed a new person to respond to, or someone else to to show up for, someone else to yeah. impress? Good question. I think. Um, or, do you, or do you think he might have actively disliked or not got on with Ollie? No, I don't think that because I think he must have felt wanted after being chased for two years as the primary target. You know, historically, players coming from the Bundesliga take time to settle, and some don't. So it doesn't surprise me yeah. massively, even though he's English, that he's come over and taken a few months to get used to it. I think starting helps, and every player is a confidence player. I think more so players 
like him who want the ball all the time. And so, yeah, I think, you know, you see the fruits of actually him being backed by the manager two games in a row. And so let's not have this descend into the same kind of slanging match as in the Sky Studio. But uh, yeah. I must ask you where you stand on the debate of Ronaldo being benched yesterday. Yeah, interesting one, because he's obviously amazing and his goal record speaks for itself and the game is about goals, as Keane said. Having said that, I thought as soon as Sancho went off, we lacked the pace on the break and it became attacking defence properly, which was then resolved when Lingard came on. And so I can see why against a team as good as Chelsea, who hold all the possession, you wouldn't stick him up top on his own. I think that would be pointless. Um, But I think against 16 or 15 of the teams in the league, Ronaldo starts every single week. Um, So I think one of the reasons that uh, Keane and Carragher got so heated and that it was so ridiculous, that argument that they had, is that they were both right in a way. Although I must say that I thought Carragher was contradicting himself a bit because he he started by saying it makes sense that he shouldn't play every game. But then later he said that he must have been bought to win the league. And if that is the case, then surely playing him every minute of every game was uh, in their minds. But broadly, I think I um, they were both right to an extent. I think Keane was right to say that maybe the team is not best set up for Ronaldo. But once you have him, whether that was a good decision or bad one to acquire him, once you have him, surely you play him because you have one of the best players in the world so then you just build it around him yeah and I, I agree with you I think they were both right I thought it descended a little bit when they were arguing over cups for titles and yeah the players. I mean, and poor Hasselbank in the middle yeah <laughs> I particularly yeah. enjoyed that the uncomfortable child in the family feud it's <laughs> brilliant at the beginning he had a few words to add but then he just gave up didn't he I'll tell you what will be interesting will be to see what he does against Arsenal because Arsenal are also a possession team yeah. and I think they're not as good as well they're clearly not as good as Chelsea but um, I don't I don't think Rangnick's going to be in. I think that'll still be Carrick, whether or not he's picking the team this time around, I don't know. But I can't see Ronaldo sat on the bench two games in a row against two traditional rivals. No. When he started doing that at Juve, he quickly found a new club. Yeah, especially after showing his displeasure walking down the tunnel like that. Yeah, I thought it was an incident-packed uh, Sunday afternoon fair, wasn't it? There was the ridiculous Jorginho error, which sent Rashford and Sancho running clear. George, I mean, uh, neither of us really want to see United thrive in any way, but from an England <laughs> point of view, that was quite thrilling, wasn't it? It was, yeah. I've seen um, today Tuchel's Blame the Floodlights which is uh, oh, really? an interesting, interesting angle. I actually thought it was a sensible performance from Man United in terms of the way they set up. I think Nick might not like this, but I think it was set up knowing they're that much better at yeah. this present time and why try and go out all out attack and know they'll just pick you off I thought it was quite a sensible setup and it was probably every intention was to give them 70 whatever it was 78% possession because you pack so many people back and the most impressive thing was nullifying their fullbacks that we've talked about a lot on this pod particularly Reese James I know Chilwell's injured but Reese James had a few moments in the first half but after that I thought you kept him really quite quiet in, in the second half so yeah a sensible performance and probably about right for where you are that's probably a good result getting a draw away at Chelsea I think anyone would take that in the league at the moment so so, but yeah, interesting, um, interesting to play in the floodlights. I thought it was just a bad touch. Yes. <laughs> and when I said it was incident packed, we also had that chance for Fred when Ronaldo was completely free to his left uh, and the, he chipped it straight yes. into Mendy's hands. And immediately he received a note from the, yeah. from the bench. Yeah. Got the classic Ronaldo slamming his thighs, which, and you know, yes, yeah. In the game without having that. I also not convinced it was a penalty, personally. I don't know. No, I agree. Guys, I, I thought it was slightly oh. contentious. I have to disagree with you there. I couldn't understand how you could think it wasn't a penalty unless you say that penalties should not be given if you're facing the other way. But that's not in the rule book, is it? So... (laughs) 
True. I just, I guess it was that classic one where the given, sometimes they're given, sometimes they're not. Yeah. But I thought it was soft as well, George. No surprise. Although, what was the worst piece of officiating of the day was when Ronaldo was clearly offside at the end. Yeah. And United were on the break. And the referee, for whatever reason, there's linesmen yeah. are deciding now whether or not they've waved their flags or don't. And it ends up being a corner. And if we'd scored from that corner, Thomas Tuchel would have exploded. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, he did explode when uh, Rudiger had that chance at the end. That was oh, a yeah. miss. Good Just chance. the wrong player in that yeah. position. Although, of course, Werner wouldn't have scored either. True. Very true. Yeah. Nice hit in the first half, though, from Rudiger. I can't believe he's available for free. In a Is few he? Months time. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Well, see, I've well, got a theory on this. I feel like it's Madrid and Barcelona who are penniless. They're tapping these players up now and winding down their contracts on a promise. Like Depay, Pogba's doing it, Mbappe's doing it. I think Rudiger mm. is doing it. It's the only way they can attract world-class talent now, and they're in a year ahead. And I think it's a scandal because it's tapping up <laughs> in the most obvious way. But that's the way they're getting these players in. So, as I've already indicated in my introduction, our game up at Burnley was snowed off. About the most significant thing I can say about that is to mention the chap and his wife who came from Dallas and who went viral because uh, they came all the way via London to Burnley. I was wondering um, if you're coming from the US to see a Premier League game and for sake of argument, you support Spurs. Why do you choose Burnley away in the first <laughs> place? I don't understand that, but okay. I've seen today that Harry Kane's reached out to him. To, uh... Exactly, yes. Finance another trip to yeah. obviously a home game, not, not the rearranged fixture. So I know you probably won't want to talk much about this, George, but the fact that Spurs didn't have a game does mean you're up next. A goalless draw on the South Coast. I didn't see this, I'm afraid, other than uh, the low lights, shall we say. And all I want to comment on is just how horrible your kits were. Terrible. <laughs> I, I, I thought it was a horrendous choice. We've got a dark blue away kit. Even our home kit of all white would have surely been better. I've just remembered there's one more thing I'd like to mention, which is that Melier save, which was clearly just for the cameras. He made a fit save. Did he? <laughs> Absolutely world-class save. Although being an ex-rubbish keeper myself, I can vouch the fact it's very annoying when they don't give the corner. It takes yes. the gloss off it. Yeah. It's like, oh, it wasn't a save, but it was actually an unbelievable save. That's true. It took the replay to show that. Yeah. Mm. So how downbeat are we this week, George? Oh, bad. Getting to uh, panic stations, I think. Um, Six points clear in Newcastle. Yeah, is that a thing, is it? Um, <laughs> it's, oh God, I don't know where to start. Uh, that, that first half, a lot of people are saying is the worst half in three and a half years under Bielsa, which wow. is a hell of a statement. Uh, and, and you didn't watch it, but I can I can explain that there was barely a pass made. I don't know if that was to do with the, the kit clash. Well, I don't think there was a single Leeds-focused highlight other than Melier's save on no. uh, Match of the Day. Was, match, of the day t- match of the Day 2, at least. I think it, it was... It was um, truly abysmal, yeah. A Neil Mopé miss and Trossard hitting the woodwork. That was all they showed. Yeah, they could conceivably have been 3-0 up at half-time and that would not have flattered them at all. And they actually booed their team off. I can only assume it's because of all the missed chances. Yeah, it was really bad. I talked last week about how we played well up to a point at Tottenham with more or less a second string. Most of those players were back, including Rafinha, and they were much worse, which makes no sense whatsoever. Brighton do have seemed to have a bit of a weird hex over us. We seem to come off the back of a decent performance like Tottenham away last week, albeit not with any points. And we get met with this land of the giants in Brighton, and they don't seem to have a clue what to do. But yeah, really bad. And I think it's just getting to that point where they may have nicked a point out of a very poor performance, but very hard to see where they go from here. 
I've, I've probably every single pod I've mentioned about this December of death, it's fast approaching yeah. and they need points on the board now. We have to assume more or less zero points come out of December. So let's talk about that. I, I really apologise. I don't wish to draw parallels between Leeds mm. and the basket case that is Newcastle United. But <laughs> um, I just want to mention that, well, as briefly as possible, mention that they uh, lost at the Emirates mm. 2-0, Saka and Martinelli. But on match of the day, they commented that in terms of stats, Newcastle are, quote, bottom of everything. And uh, Alan Shearer's done a thing today on the BBC where he talks about the next two games, this midweek and next Saturday, being the biggest week of Newcastle's season because he doesn't think they'll have a chance if they don't get six points out of them. But it just strikes me now when I see that your next two fixtures are at home to Palace and then at home to Brentford on Sunday. Uh, It's the same for you, isn't it? It's an absolutely massive week where six points or somewhere close to that would do you the world of good before those terrible fixtures that you told us about. Yeah, I I, I really do worry about the what the supporters will be like on Tuesday night because it's obviously what we've sold out always is um, if we lose at home to Palace right. be a quite resurgent Palace side I think if really is going to start to turn a friend of mine's been to the last three games home and away and he's definitely noticed a, a turn in the um, supporters who up till now I didn't notice no that wrong. sitting very close to them at Spurs but uh, mm, yeah okay. I think yeah sorry so Bielsa can't do any wrong and the players who've got us up to the Premier can't do any wrong and finished ninth last season but it's definitely turning I'm obviously I'm not mm. seeing the Bielsa out campaign yet but I feel with these two home games against bottom half teams yes like you say six points would be delightful I think anything less than four points out of these two and there really will be a a turning attitude and yeah just because you start to feel quite desperate looking at the table yeah and and looking at our December fixtures and before you know it we're over halfway through the season and we only have two wins on the board both scraped by one goal margins against Watford and Norwich it's yeah, starting to look very a bit bleak already. So yeah, hope for the best from these next two home games. I would just like to uh, counter your December of death narrative by telling you that we at Spurs have just had a game postponed. And already before that, we have nine fixtures in December. You, because of the quirk of having this midweek fixture fall on the 30th of November, have six uh, Nick United have eight, uh, but we are still in the League Cup, of course, as well as Europe. So we have nine games in the month of December. It's really quite silly. It was a surprise that they called that match off, actually. And yet up the road, Man City were able to play. Yeah. Well, perhaps two reasons I could think of was that Turf Moor is rather more dated than the other two stadiums. So in terms of the fans being safe. But secondly, just because the snowfall was much heavier at Burnley before kickoff, whereas at Leicester and at Man City, it rained. It, it snowed during the game, didn't it? It was bizarre watching the Man City highlights. Just couldn't barely see the football in the first half highlights in the second half. It was yeah, green, green it was... grass and you could see everything. It's bizarre. <laughs> commentator on match of the day mentioned that you could see the trails of the passes and I think Man City are a good side to see that with so that was uh, two straight defeats for West Ham of course but you can forgive them losing to uh, Guardiola at Man City scored um, the goal of the weekend though yeah thank you for mentioning that I did want to mention Lanzini's great consolation goal because it gives me a chance to remind you that I am surely the only person who's seen him play in Buenos Aires London and Genk 
probably in the world, yeah. <laughs> yeah including his mum. Uh, great player. Uh, City go to Gerard next. I think uh, we should stop calling them Aston Villa on this pod because the narrative yeah. is clearly just Gerard from here on in. So it's, Until uh, they lose and then it'll be Villa again. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's Gerard versus City in midweek, which will be interesting. Gundogan is coming into form again, just like he did last year, perhaps. Um, I feel like maybe Man City in general are getting into gear for this uh, winter slog. I think uh, Guardiola's got them primed, but you never know. There's so many games coming up that you can't rule out a little slip but uh, it's a good test against Villa first up now shall we talk a bit about a manager who's certainly on thin ice if we're doubting whether Bielsa is just yet there can be no doubt that Rafa Benitez is on the ropes right Nick it would be the most elaborate hoax of all time if a uh, former Liverpool manager just went to Everton to get a payout. But he doesn't <laughs> seem—he doesn't seem all that bothered. I feel like he might even have the hump that he's missed the Newcastle job now that it's gone yeah. to Eddie Howe. Um, I mean, they've lost—they've lost five and six, yeah. and the one they didn't lose in that was a goalless draw against us, which isn't great. They've got the derby next, of course. Klopp said, uh, "We're going there to play football. Let's see what the opponent wants," which I thought was wonderfully provocative. Our guess last week Paul Caputo's uh, prediction that they might might do something in this fixture was very <laughs> yeah I can't see it I can't see it it's going to be uh, embarrassing for them it'll get worse before it gets better if it gets better this can't surely just be because Carver-Lewin's injured um, well, they didn't have yeah. Richarlison Richarlison missing too yeah so for anyone who's good. unaware they went mm. to uh, struggling Brentford and lost 1-0 to an Ivan Tony penalty if they do lose the derby as one must expect they then follow that up with a Monday night football at Goodison to Arsenal. And similarly to what you just said, George, worrying about atmosphere, you'd wonder what the atmosphere would be like come that night, wouldn't you? They're really unhappy there already. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't popular at the beginning. He's not been popular in the middle. And I he's certainly not been popular at the end after that Arsenal match when he leaves. Yeah. <laughs> Quoting him, I would say, uh, he said uh, they had 30 crosses, 14 attempts. He said he thinks that's enough. I watched this and it was one of those games where it really brings a dark shadow over the claim to be the best league in the world. It really was <laughs> rubbish on, on both right. sides. Great for Brentford, who had to stop the rock because they've gotten into a bit of a, uh, a losing habit themselves. I suggest that Benitez's emphasis on control is the common factor there because um, it was also absolutely dire, according to the radio commentators, when we went to Goodison. So I wouldn't blame Brentford too much if it was no. if it was that bad. Did we all enjoy Ivan Tony's penalty? Yes, approach. the no look penalty. Wasn't it? Oh, yeah. No, I do not. I hate. It. They look great when they go right, and when they go wrong, you look like a fool. Yeah, he has a very high success rate. And yeah, he's he done it all his career. It's not like a new thing because he's in the Premier League. It's, yeah, it, I think keepers just have no, don't know what to do. Um, he does seem to be a, a player who's very comfortable in the Premier League, doesn't he? So let's turn to a game that was much more entertaining then in the uh, snowstorm at Leicester and Claudio Ranieri's return. This was a great game. I thought they could have done with an orange ball, but they kept going with the uh, standard issue yellow and pink patches one, which I don't particularly like. It, be- it got really hard to see. And then uh, at halftime, they used a leaf blower to clear the snow off the lines, I think. Great game, though. And Madison, who I've mentioned a couple of times in the last few weeks, he seems to be back. And when he's on that kind of form linking up with Vardy, they're really good to watch. We've talked about their inconsistency, but I love watching Vardy when he's in that form. Yeah, brilliant. And Madison actually started this midweek, which I know we'll come on to with a lovely goal. And yeah, I, I, I agree. When when they are like this, they are enjoyable to watch. It's just not knowing which Leicester's going to turn up because when we played Leicester, Vardy barely had a touch. 
So I think if you if you can keep him quiet, you're halfway to beating them. But um, yeah, yeah, Madison surely can't be far away from England contention. Um, although I know we've got a long wait till the next England games. But a special mention for Vardy's first goal. The angle was yeah, absolutely. He, he was nearly off the pitch when he, yeah. when he landed from a mid-air volley. Brilliant finish. So Leicester are away at Southampton in midweek where they scored nine once. So that should give them confidence, shouldn't it? <laughs> but that was their first win in four. And they're only up to 10th with that. Uh, Watford have had two wins and four defeats since Ranieri started. So uh, it's never uh, dull. It's never dull, but uh, as we said when he was appointed, I don't think it's going to last too long. A point above you now, George. Yeah, is that a thing? Again, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't know. Don't know what that means, really. It but, is. Yeah. It is incredibly tight. I mean, like, a bit like the championship. A couple of wins, and you can actually rock it on the table. We've actually got the same number of defeats as Wolves, who are in sixth. So it's I feel like it's heavily congested from sort of eighth downwards. Yeah. Until you get to Newcastle. Um, it is indeed. Again, which is why I yeah. say if you, if you did get some, if you did yeah, get yeah, close to six points this week, George, mm-hmm, it would mm-hmm. be so useful, wouldn't it? I would have a different tone for sure. So uh, looking forward to next week's pod already then. Saturday wasn't exactly a classic like the previous week, but we've already mentioned Arsenal's 2-0 win over Newcastle. Uh, it's good to see Saka scoring with a great finish. Martinelli scored what I thought was a Van Persie type of goal when it drops over your shoulder and you smash it home mm. on the volley. Nice cushioned finish. Not much else to to comment on that game. Absolutely nothing to comment about uh, Norwich versus Wolves. A goalless draw. Liverpool procession against Southampton with two tap-ins from Jota. Thiago, another goal to the shouts of shoot from the Anfield crowd after he scored in Champions League as well. And Virgil van Dijk scoring from a Trent assist. And Crystal Palace, who are travelling to Ellen Road next, George, they lost to Steven Gerrard. So um, does that give you a little bit of encouragement or do you worry that they'll be hungry now? Yes, and I only call the extended highlights, but they were quite wasteful. Their front four is quite impressive and very and quite young as well. Benteke aside, obviously. They've got a young lad called Elise who got from Reading, who looks very exciting. And if you remember Ebrici Eze from last season, one of the breakout yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's back fit as well. So, um, yeah, they were quite wasteful. There's an interesting one from this game. If you didn't see it, can't remember the guy's name. It was his first Premier League match as referee. And uh, he, oh, right. he had to overturn a red card through VAR, which was actually... Yes, a Douglas Louise. Yeah, it was very much the right decision as well. It was good to see. And, and fairly swift as well. It was all done within about a minute. So maybe it is getting better. Yes, and also also of note was uh, John McGinn's left-footed curler. That was a great goal. Um, he only scores great goals. He's like this in the championship as well. He always scores very, very good finishes, yeah. So that wraps up the weekend. Nick, let's get to the manager situation at Manchester United. While you were away, it happened, what we've been discussing over the last month or so. Yeah. Ollie was let go. Carrick's had a great week. Two games unbeaten, as they say. Uh, And now there's uh, news that Ralph Rangnick has been confirmed as sort of um, technocrat from from RB Leipzig, uh, Hoffenheim, Schalke in the past. Very impressive manager. Makes it a sort of triumvirate of Germans at the top of the uh, Premier League, or not all of them at the top, of course, but uh, (laughs) in theory. So uh, what's your reaction to this as a fan I have to reserve judgment, really. I think it seems to make a lot of good sense. They need, they obviously didn't have a plan. And in terms of not having a plan, this is about as well as it could have gone with this board, I would have said. Having said that, he's not won an awful lot in yeah. his time as manager. And the big stick people hit Ole with was he hadn't won anything. He was untried and unproven at this level. Yeah. Same again, but with this guy, I think it's fashionable to have a, a nerdy German in. And, yes, uh, it seems to be, yeah. 
and they all look up to this guy as well so maybe we've brought in the head teacher that would be good um but everything they're talking about sort of pressing and sort of high tempo football or Trafford or Love. Don't know if he's got the players to do it. I think you've just mentioned something that has been on my mind, which is the fact that these three and uh, other German coaches are in are in demand and in fashion. But when you actually look at it over the last 15 to 20 years and you take Bayern Munich out of the equation, German teams' performance in the Champions League have been really, mm. really poor. And again, right now. So it's a bit of a conundrum for German football and there's a bit of uh, hand-wringing going on as to why German clubs fail on the European stage when uh, the national team more or less performs well and uh, the coaches are at the top of the game. The German model is surely affected by the fact that Bayern can just buy all of the best players in Germany. Yeah, that's certainly a factor, yeah. Just wonder... Nick, what it is, if the owners have a plan of any sort, what, what it is they, they want, what are they aiming for? I was looking at Solskjaer's record when he got sacked. You know, four cup semifinals, uh, runners-up yeah. in Europa League, second last year, third year before. Obviously a victim of Alex Ferguson's success. But, you know, the domination is probably not going to happen again. Like, what would be satisfactory from any new manager is it always going to be a poison chalice? What yeah. do you think will be successful for the board well, and the fans? I think Man yeah. United need to win the league, don't they? I would say that's two different well. questions because for the the fans, they've got a lower bar, I would say, in that all they want is attractive football. And after Jose and Van Gaal, that's why the last three years has been a lot of fun under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and also why there was never any outright sort of disputes against him. The actual, the only, you know, the harshest they got was chanting for Donny van der Beek to get a game. <laughs> um, but I think the amount of money that's been spent and then if you look at what Ole did to the squad this summer, he added Varane, he added Ronaldo. You know, we should have been kicking on from second to put on a proper cha- uh, title push. And I think that's got to be the level for the team, for a team that spends so much money. The board, however, just want to be in the top four. And I think yeah. that's why Ole got the, the chop. I think the second that you're in a fight for the top four, they panic because the dividends suddenly halve. The sponsorship deal with yeah. Adidas, the sponsorship deal with... The team Daniel Miller. Levy model. Yeah, this is about making sure that every year this conti- this cash cow continues to pay out to the Glazers. And that means Champions League. I think um, yeah, it actually all fell apart for Ole when... Um, we lost the Europa League final because I right. think that it win that and that's a springboard to a successful season. Lose that and I think the players look around the dressing room and they're a bit like, yeah. mm, mm, I'm Go, not sure going, this is going to happen. Going back to my point from a few podcasts ago, like I just would be interested to see where you'd be in the league now if you hadn't signed Ronaldo. I know he's scored yeah. mm. some winning goals and um, especially in Europe, he's an absolute goal machine this season, or well, he always is, but when I said that, it was about how successful I thought your summer was and how sensible it was for the first time in years. You were buying exactly what you needed. and then I'm afraid I must intervene, George, and say that we don't have time to revisit that debate. <laughs> I think uh, go and look at Keane and Carragher on YouTube instead, please. But the Europa League final that you lost is a wonderful segue to Manchester United Villarreal. Nick, tell us about that, please. So I think this was super important to the club because it's the first time United have been in the Champions League after Christmas for a while. And what was a really easy group on paper has now comfortably been navigated with a game in hand, which didn't look like that when when they lost to young boys. I think um, it was just a 
textbook away performance, to be honest. Absorbed lots of pressure, defended sensibly, kept a clean sheet, um, scored with your chances. And, you know, very difficult to read anything into it. It was the first, you know, Michael Carrick's come in and, you know, he's done a, he's done a couple of days with them. Um, but the results were important. And Villarreal are no mugs. Like we have, no. we have really struggled to beat them. And we've played them a lot down the years. And obviously they beat us in the final of the, of the Europa League. Did you see any of the other game in that group? It's fantastic. It was in Bern and young boys scored uh, right at the death to go 3-2 up and uh, secure, they thought, a very famous Champions League victory. And then uh, Atalanta brought on Luis Muriel, whose first touch in the match was a free kick that he then put in for a 3-3 equaliser. Really great drama. George, did you see anything in the Champions League that you'd like to comment on? Uh, nothing. For me, I think it would be the denouement of the Barcelona-Benfica game with the miss by Seferovic. Yeah, yeah. That was a truly, truly abysmal. Yes. That was really awful. And Barca, who are kind of in trouble anyway, could have been really deep in it if that had gone in. Uh, Barcelona on seven points with Benfica on five going into the final match day. But of course, Barcelona have to go to Bayern while Benfica have Dinamo Kiev at home. So that's a dodgy last day for Barcelona to navigate. I thought um, it's probably worth mentioning just quite how impressive Chelsea and their homegrown players were. Yes. And again, we've we've mentioned this uh, a few times and we've had a few great goals from him to comment on in the last few weeks. Another stunner from Reese James, wasn't it? Yeah, he's a hell of a player. Yeah, this is my match I picked to watch, actually. Yeah, he, he was man of the match and it was just phenomenal. It's sad to see Chilwell go off, go off injured because he's not been that far behind in terms of productivity recently. And I think we've talked before about them becoming the guaranteed fullbacks for, for England next year. But um, yeah, they're very, very impressive. It's good also to see even Loftus Chief who seems to be back in the picture he came on and had a good little cameo and uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi as well remember when we were talking about him going to Bayern Munich and things like that went completely off the radar he had another very good game um, that's right he should have gone to Bayern when he had that chance yeah but uh, yeah very impressive not sure what the odds are but they can't be far off the top to retain the title now, the other thing worth mentioning in the Champions League last week was, as I said, Milan, who prior to this week had only a single point after four matches, could still go through, but they absolutely had to win at the Metropolitano. And it seemed like it was slipping away from them in a very dull game, nil-nil, um, not many chances. And particularly a dire situation for them when uh, Zlatan missed a great chance with about five minutes remaining and he thought it just wouldn't happen for them. Two minutes later, up pops a guy called Junior Mendes. Messias, a Brazilian chap who I think it was well documented that he worked as a delivery driver about 10 years ago and now he scored a Champions League winner that keeps Milan in it going into the final day. They host Liverpool who are through and you have to think will play a week inside and uh, in the other game Atletico Madrid go to Porto. Porto are on five, Milan and Atletico both on four so that's one to watch in the final match day. Also sad to see uh, Dortmund out but it'll be interesting to see what Haaland can do on a Thursday night going forward. <laughs> yeah. Well, other great players play on Thursdays, let me tell you. Yeah, Ajax, uh, who we've been talking up the last few weeks, they went behind at Besiktas, which was surprising. Of course, they still won from behind and they're sitting there on uh, played 5-1-5. So definitely one to watch in the knockout. Haller again scored. Yeah, and um, Haller is top scorer alongside Lewandowski in the Champions League. Yeah. Dread to think um, West Ham could be even better if they kept hold of him when he was scoring like this. Do you remember when, they, uh, when Ajax signed him and uh, failed to register him for the, I think it was the Europa League at the time? 
and uh, just after they signed him, he couldn't play in Europe through a paperwork error. So let's take a very quick tour through Europe at the weekend. Uh, firstly, that incredible title race in Italy. Milan lost to Sassuolo at home. They went 1-0 up, but lost 3-1 to the Nero Verdi, which opened the door for Napoli, who faced Lazio. Good side, albeit not so great away from home. But uh, I watched the first half of this, and Napoli were really, really incredible. They won the game. Yeah, Yeah, they won the game 4-0 in the end. Mm. Dries Mertens really coming into his own in that central striker role now. Despite the scoreline, Lazio had a fair few chances that first half. It could have been... Yeah, it was a great game, wasn't it? Yeah. Lazio's manager nowadays, Maurizio Sarri, was, of course, uh, had a lot of success, nearly won the title with Napoli when he was there with his Sarri ball. And uh, Napoli kind of served it back to him that night. Something of a Premier League retirement home for players. There's, That's there's it. Few, yeah, a few players I didn't realise played there, like uh, Pedro and Reina and Lucas Leiva. <laughs> right. Interesting to see all these names again. But um, yeah, Napoli looked irresistible. Dries Merton's second goal, you should have a look on YouTube as well. It was a lovely finish. Yeah, very, very impressive. Oh, I love that player. I mean, I saw him uh, for Belgium at the World Cup uh, in the Maracanã, and uh, I thought he was the best player that day. And I, I love the fact that he's been loyal to Napoli all these years and that he's become their record goal scorer. I just think it's a really great story. Just a shout about their kit, which is absolutely marvellous with Maradona's with face. With Diego's face, yes. Yeah, it's yeah. wonderful. And Inter won again as well, which puts them just one point behind rivals Milan now, but uh, Napoli are three points clear. In Spain, did you see Vinicius Junior's winner in the big game against Sevilla, George? I did, and I've heard a lot of talk about it subsequently as well and how he's becoming one of the best players in Europe. But again, I go back to being a terrible keeper once myself. It, it's <laughs> actually got a hand to it. it. I feel like that. He probably should have saved it. That's the Gary right Neville assessment. Always blame the keeper or defender, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, no, it was a lovely hit. Um, Just for the context of the time and the place and the uh, yes, top of the table clash, it was a great goal, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Puts Real four points clear. I was say, it gives them a bit of a cushion, doesn't it? Yeah, four points clear of uh, Atletico Madrid and Real Sociedad now. In Germany, Bayern and Dortmund are still separated by only a point and they meet next weekend. So as I mentioned last time, I still don't see this Dortmund side, especially as we've mentioned, they they, uh, flopped in Europe. I don't see them as title winners this season, but it would be good to see the race dragged out a bit longer. And uh, it will be very interesting to see the uh, first Classicare, which some people call it, which I find quite obnoxious. But uh, the first meeting between them in a in a full stadium in Dortmund in the league since November 2018. Can you believe that? Because oh, really? Of, okay. Because of everything that's happened. Yeah. And good that um, Haaland is back fit just in time. Haaland gets an opportunity to savour that, exactly, yeah, which I'm sure probably, he'll love. Probably in front of his future employers, let's not. But um, <laughs> yeah. he actually... <laughs> Came off the bench to notch his 50th in 50 Bundesliga games at the weekend, which is unbelievable. Yes. His, uh, his scoring ratio. Um, Crazy numbers. Uh, and I just want to, uh, because I can't imagine many situations when I would do this, from a German perspective, I'd also like to give a shout out to Bayer Leverkusen, ever the bridesmaids. But they had a good week because they beat Celtic in the Europa League and then uh, won at Leipzig to consolidate third place. So great week for Leverkusen.
Now, I'd also like to mention the big game in South America on Saturday. I don't know if you saw any of this or the highlights. Unfortunately, as with many high-profile South American matches, uh, viral clips of silliness kind of yeah. overshadow the game. So I'm sure you've seen the clip of the, uh, the player felled by the referee. Nick, do you want to get that out of the way for us? Yeah, I mean, you're going to have to give me some context because there's no way that was serious, right? You, <laughs> I'm a, what was happening? I'm afraid the answer to that is just, it's the Libertadores, so yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I mean, it does make excellent hashtag content. So let's talk about the football then, having covered that. This was the third uh, single match final in the Libertadores after 2019 in Lima, 2020 in Rio, and this year's was in Montevideo. And if you, George, I know you like your stadiums. If you're looking for a really historic stadium, this one, the Estadio Centenario in Montevideo, you can't get much more historic than the venue of the first ever World Cup final in 1930. Straight onto Google after this part. Yeah, I've been there. I've been to the Uruguayan Football Museum as well, which is a fascinating place full of pictures of Cavani. Uh, Varney and Suarez, as well as the older chaps. But yes, let me just plug a long read that I uh, wrote the other year about the 2019 final in Lima when Flamengo came back in the last few minutes to win it. Solskjaer Sheringham style, Nick, in Lima against River Plate. And on Saturday, I think some Flamengo fans would have hoped that the same thing was about to happen again because Palmeiras had scored first and the same player who scored the brace in Lima, Gabriel Barbosa, the uh, star striker, scored to equalise for Flamengo. But uh, when it went to extra time, the game was settled by a ridiculous defensive error. And although David Luiz uh, was in the side for Flamengo, it wasn't him, surprisingly, who committed that error. But uh, that handed the uh, the match and the trophy to Palmeiras, who, with that success, become the second Brazilian club to win the Libertadores three times. So together with Sao Paulo, they're now the most successful side, the most successful Brazilian side in continental competition. So I think that just leaves for us to discuss the Europa League and even more reluctantly, the Europa Conference League. Yes, Tottenham please. lost to Mora, as I'm sure you're aware. Now, this is, unless, unless you want to uh, comment on the match itself, I really don't because it's an absolute joke. But uh, I thought I'd take you through, just uh, for a bit of a laugh, I thought I'd take you through some of our more ridiculous European results in recent years in the sort of modern history of uh, European competition for Spurs. And, uh, well, this season alone has thrown up defeats against uh, Passos de Ferreira, Vitesse, of course. Uh, last season, there was the 3-0 defeat away at Dinamo Zagreb to be eliminated in the round of 16. Uh, most famous, remember George, for? Uh, pass. Joe Hart? Oh, yes. Uh... <laughs> Job done. Wonderful. Joe Hart <laughs> tweeting job done because he thought it was 3-0 to us and not 3-0 to them. Uh, then we had a 1-0 defeat away in Antwerp under Mourinho. Of course, if you're talking heavy defeats, there was 7-2 to Bayern Munich. I was there for that one, of course. But um, you'd have to say that wasn't quite in the same league because that was a Bayern side that went, uh, went on to become European champions. Uh, a 3-0 reverse against Red Bull Leipzig and Timo Werner back in uh, in Mourinho's season 1920. That was also an entirely useless performance. And then I've got a couple of other gems here. Round of 32 in the Europa League 2017, we uh, drew 2-2 with Ghent at home to go out. That's Ghent, not Genk. 
And in 2014, in the same round of the Europa League, we lost to Dnipro, although um, we did eventually go through that tie. And if you go back right to 2007, we had a home loss to Getafe, 2-1 home defeat to Getafe, which I believe was the game that cost uh, Martin Yol his job, or his last game anyway. Good times. Yeah, Just, so it's, um... all, uh, it's all very depressing how many of these occasions there have been, but uh, certainly more was a complete one... joke. Yeah, this one trumps all of them yeah. put together i was just well that's how this before. started i i went through my archives wondering was this actually the worst and uh, i'm not sure i reached a conclusion but i'll give so. you i can give you some very lovely context um i was reading uh mura are only nine years old as an entire club right i didn't know um, that Thank so obviously you. it's their first foray into any sort of continental competition the mk and dons of slovenia basically and they're from a town whose population is smaller than your massive single tier stand holds. <laughs> right, so I, I can see from your I can see from your detailed research you really did want to talk about this match tonight. Just uh, I, when I saw they were from Slovenia, I had to read more. Um, mm. It's 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 pretty bad, and also as I said to you privately, put into context, I was losing to you because you're clearly not in a good place right now. <laughs> so maybe that also not. puts into context how bad we are that we managed to lose to you and what about Antonio Conte who has made this reputation yeah. for himself of uh, throwing his toys out of the pram and complaining never this uh, early <laughs> I, I would say late on in managerial spells this is after two weeks he's called us uh, what did he say um, the standard is very low or something something lower not he, very lower than he expected <laughs> something thinly veiled yeah <laughs> He's already What's he do though. There's no money, surely. He's not going to go on a spending spree in January. I think forget the team. That's what should be on Amazon. Levy versus Conte in the negotiation room. Yeah. That should be the Amazon documentary. I think it'd be hilarious. So we'll leave it there. In next week's pod, we've got two match days in the Premier League to review this midweek and the weekend. And uh, that's all part of a December that sees seven Premier League match days squeezed in with only three then in January. So uh, you can understand these European managers who look askance at us, but at least they're getting they're all getting a week in Dubai now in January, February, aren't they? Which yeah. they, didn't, they didn't used to. Okay, so uh, thank you very much, Nick. Thank you for having me back. And thank you, George. Best of luck this week. I mean that. Very much. Uh, thanks, guys. And speak again next week. It's a pleasure. Bye-bye. See ya.